It may not go far. How many of you know if you're driving a real rough road, you can go like three miles and it seems like you've been going 20 miles and it's just like we've only gone three miles? That's maybe the way it is this morning. It's uh, perhaps not a lot of information, but it's deep information that, um, that I believe that the Holy Spirit wants us to get uh, in our spirit, get under our belt. Um, there's been some deep revelation that the Holy Spirit has been um, uh, giving all of us over these last few weeks. And I'm so excited in more ways than one. For one reason, it's because he'll be up here instead of me, but Pastor Cricket will be here for the next two weeks and, and he'll be br- uh, bringing all this home and uh, driving this home. And um, everything that I feel in the Spirit is residue of what the Holy Spirit is speaking to him. And so I'm super excited about this this whole series that we're started on this Holy Spirit culminating uh, in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be really good. It's Like I said, it's going to be some rocky road. I, t- I was just telling everybody in the green room this morning that um, I just feel, you know, <clears throat> how many of you have been in God's presence? <clears throat> and it's just so good. You know, it's just goosebumps, you know? <clears throat> I don't. The, that's it's it's awesome, and that's the way I've always known the Holy Spirit. This morning, I feel weight of the Holy Spirit. I feel, um, you know, there's a there's a lightness that comes in God's presence, but sometimes there's a heaviness that comes in God's presence. I don't know if y'all know what I'm talking about, but um, to starting this morning and well, starting in last week, I just have started to feel like. The Holy Spirit is um, is desiring to do something, and in a hurry, <laughs> and um, and for that to take place, um, Pastor Cricket. I don't want to preach anything that he's bringing, but he's been talking about um, the 120 and how they weren't. Uh, Holy Spirit, uh, they weren't waiting on the Holy Spirit. There's no time in heaven, so what were they waiting on? The Holy Spirit was waiting on them. The Bible says when they came in one accord that the Holy Spirit came. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Um, I think the Holy Spirit is bringing things in one accord um, for something great. And that's exciting, but it's a little painful at the at the start. Um, and I understand that. Um, we're all experiencing, a lot of us are experiencing that. Um, this morning I want to start out by talking to you and uh, preaching from Matthew 28, verse 19. Uh, my wife said last week I did not use one scripture. Um, but those of you that were listening, you heard scripture. I just didn't give you the reference. <laughs> I'm going to give you the reference this morning. So, uh, it was in there. <laughs> but it, you're not supposed to just take somebody's word for it. So Matthew 28:19 says this. And I did a lot of shouting last week. Maybe I won't shout this week. If people say that when a preacher shouts, it means he doesn't have content. He doesn't have. A, he shouts because he doesn't have much to say. So I'm going to try to not shout this morning. Um, uh, Matthew 28:19 says this. Therefore, go. Everybody say, therefore. That's our key word, by the way, therefore. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. What do we call this? Does anybody know? What is this called? You know, like at the heading in your Bible, what does that say? 
the Great Commission. Right, right, right. Um, you know, we quote Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, and we call that the Great Commission. But I want to um, maybe suggest to you this morning that that's only part of it. Um, I want to suggest to you that maybe it's even taken out of context a little bit if we just quote that one verse. Um, we got to back up and we got to go forward and we got to get the whole context of what he's saying here. Um, did you know that these are the last words of Jesus in the flesh on the earth? Uh, Matthew records this as the, the last words of Jesus before he ascended to his disciples before the Holy Spirit came. And when he said this, how many of you would agree that, that just that phrase, just that verse demands action? Amen. He said go. He didn't say, he said, he didn't say um, if you want to, if you feel like it. If you, he said go. He said, and go is a very short demonstrative word. Um, G-O, just go and make disciples. Um, so it demands action. And how many of you would agree because the Holy Spirit came later at Pentecost, so obviously what he was telling them to do required the Holy Spirit. Um, so it demands action, but it requires the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you about one of my favorite uh, guitars. Not Probably not my favorite guitar, but uh, one of my favorite guitars uh, is made by Martin. Uh, it's Martin HD28. I don't know if anybody... Uh, as familiar with acoustic guitars, but Martin HD twenty eight. It's uh, you know what probably four or five six thousand dollars something like that, uh, depending on uh, how it's embellished. But uh, so Martin guitars though have been made in Nazareth, Pennsylvania, since eighteen thirty nine. They were made in New York before then, but they moved operations to eight in eighteen thirty nine to Nazareth, Pennsylvania, and they've been making them there ever since. And um, in that time, not much has changed. Some of the techniques, some of the machinery they use, a lot of those things have changed. But the things that have not changed is for 180 years, every single guitar that has come out of that factory has been inspected thoroughly. You know why it's been inspected thoroughly? Because their name's on it. When Martin stamped their name on the headstock of that guitar, they're not going to send anything out there that is not 100% perfect, free from defects. So they inspect it perfectly to ensure that it meets the standards of aesthetics. They inspect the finish. They inspect everything about it. And uh, it, then the important thing is done. They play it. They play that guitar rigorously. They rigorously test every guitar against the original standards to see if it has that Martin tone that every, every picker uh, knows uh, and recognizes when they hear it. They want to hear that Martin tone and if it doesn't play right, you know what they do? They burn it. All that work, they could, it, it could have been a several thousand dollar guitar, but if it doesn't play right, it may look perfect, but if it doesn't play right, they destroy it. They put it uh, in an incinerator and they start over. Um, no, Martin, my point in telling you that, everybody's scared I'm going to talk about hellfire and brimstone this morning. That's not what this is about. <laughs> the point in, say, in me saying that is that there's no such thing as a Martin designed to be displayed. No Martin ever made was designed 
to put on the shelf, to hang on a peg, to put behind glass. Now you'll find Martins behind glass because they're 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 too rare or too expensive to be played. But if you took it out and played it, it would have that Martin tone. But no guitar was designed to be aesthetically pleasing that didn't play well. Um, in fact, uh, to any guitar player, when you look at a, a, a five, six, seven, even eight thousand dollar Martin, there's some older HD twenty eights, you know, in the twenty thousands of dollars. And if you look at one of those guitars, the first thought that comes to my mind, and probably every guitar player's mind, is, "I bet that sounds awesome. I bet that plays incredible." Um, and that's the whole point. The whole point in a great, am I right? The whole point in a great acoustic guitar. It's, it's something, you know, I've seen really flashy acoustic guitars, and they sound horrible. And it's just like, man, why would you even have that? I mean, it looks cool, but are you a guitar player or, or aren't you, you know? Um, but uh, I've, just some simple, uh, simple appointments. Uh, Taylor and Martin, they both make, these, make guitars that don't have any finish on them. So it's just a, it's just a very little finish. So it's just the wood, and man, that's where the tone. You can just feel the vibrations from that Sitka spruce or that Engelmann spruce, and all those rare woods that they build into them. Okay, I'm moving on. All right, nobody spends five hundred thousand dollars on a Lamborghini Aventador just to look at it. How many of you would love to have a Lamborghini Aventador? How many of you would love to have a Lamborghini Aventador, even if I didn't tell you how much it costs, just because I said the word Lamborghini? You already know how much it costs because it's a Lamborghini. But nobody goes and buys a Lamborghini Aventador unless they can afford it, number one. But nobody goes and buys one to bring it home and put it in their garage and bring their friends over to look at it and never drive it. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. The reason that nobody buys one just to look at it is because it has a 730 horsepower V12. That's where most of the money of the Lamborghini Aventador goes, is in the drivetrain. It, uh, it's not, I mean, there's leather, but I mean, how expensive is leather and how much, is, how much leather can you put in there? You know, it's just like, there's nothing they can put, there's nothing gold-plated. I mean, it's not a big pearl for the shifter. You know, it's, it's not, there's nothing like that. It's in the drivetrain. So the Lamborghini Aventador has 730 horsepower, V12 engine. Y'all ever heard one? Uh, yeah, you're giving me specs I don't even know about. Um, uh, I mean, and it, 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 it wraps. When, they, um, uh, when somebody punches a Lamborghini sitting steel, it wraps 10,000 RPM just, I mean, just wah-bah. Y'all know what I'm talking about? How many car guys, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Um, top speed of 220. 220 miles per hour. Um, there's, been a, there's been a lot of Hollywood stars that have gone to meet their maker over cars like this because they can afford it and they want to see that on the speedometer. Um, and uh, 0 to 60, get this, 0 to 60 in 2.9. Imagine in 2.9 seconds going from 0 to interstate speeds in 2.9 seconds. I don't even know how you hold on to the steering wheel with that kind of G's, but that's why you buy a Lamborghini. That's why you buy a Lamborghini. That's why you buy a Taylor. That's why you buy a chainsaw. That's why you buy a stand mixer for your kitchen. That's why you buy anything. You buy things to use them. If it doesn't have a use, you don't buy it. A lot of times I'll want things, and, and my wife always says, well, what's it for? 
<laughs> you know? And, uh, well, uh, um, but everything has to have a use. And that's why you could take that same half a million dollars that you would sink into that Lamborghini Aventador, like the, the finest machine on earth, and you know what you can buy with that? <laughs> you, you can buy a new excavator. A big diesel excavator. They make excavators. They're like a half a million dollars. And uh, you could buy one, a brand new excavator. You know what an excavator is? If you don't know what an excavator is, you need to watch Blippi. Okay, Blippi is a kid's show that my three-year-old watches religiously. It's the most annoying thing on television. It's this young man in this big hat and orange suspenders, and he talks like a three-year-old. And it's the most incredibly annoying thing I've ever... ever. And um, But he... Um, he has a song, and it goes, Excavator, and that is my three-year-old's favorite song, and he sings that. <laughs> it's amazing how many men just stop making eye contact with me. <laughs> I started singing everywhere. <laughs> but, so the excavator, it's a five, you can buy a $500,000 excavator, but no matter what you paid for that piece of machinery, you're going to have to stick that freshly painted bucket in the dirt. Unless you start knocking paint off of it, tracking mud into the cab, unless you start working it, you wasted your money. It was not designed to look at. It was designed to use. It was designed to get scratches on it. It was designed to wear the paint off of the bucket. It was designed for those things. Everybody say this with me. Say, I am not, I'm not, not. a trinket. My grandma used to call them play pretties. <laughs> my grandma Kirksey, my dad's mom, um, she's... Is she 90-something now? Um, she used to always talk. I'd, I'd bring my Hot Wheels when I'd come to her, her house, and she called them my play purties. And uh, that's, a, that's a thing, I think, from another generation. But you're not a play pretty. You're not something that is just, um, just something for God to, to spend time and just kill time with. You're not something to put on a shelf. You're designed to work. Amen. You're designed for a purpose. You're, des- uh, you're designed specifically for something. He had an intention when He made you. And God has invested way too much. More than $500,000. More than you can imagine. He's invested way too much in you. He's invested so much in you. He's invested too much in you for anything less than what He's called you to do. And guys, there's a, there, is a, there is a weightiness to realizing uh, what he bought, what he paid for in my life. And there's a weightiness in regards to, am I really using it wisely? Am I using his investment wisely? His investment in me, am I using it wisely? God has put so much firepower, we're talking about the Holy Spirit this morning, he's put so much firepower in you and me, too much for anything less than to be a serious weapon to destroy the kingdom of darkness and to host the power of heaven here on earth. That's how much he has invested in you. That's what he expected when he invested it in you. That's, and when, I te- when, I, when I'm talking about what he's invested in you, I'm talking about more than the cross. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit in you. God has invested the Holy Spirit in you. The power of heaven on earth in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now in you. That spirit that is in you was invested in you. And it was not put there for goosebumps. It was not put there for anything less than 
if, if, if you're designed to be a Lamborghini Aventador, that's the gas in your tank. That's the gas. And he did not fill you up to leave you without, without ever doing what he's designed you to do. So God has invested way too much in you. And uh, so we're all aware of the Great Commission. We've heard the Great Commission. It's probably one of the most well-known things uh, in the Bible because it's the last words of Jesus. It's the last thing Jesus said before we went to heaven, so we all know about it. But let me tell you this. The Great Commission is our marching orders. The Great Commission is straight from Jesus' mouth. This is what you do now. Okay? He's saying, I just did everything. I just paid the price. I just invested all of this in you, and the rest is coming. If you'll go and Terry, get in one accord, it's coming too. But I've been, I'm investing all of this in you for this reason. This is the last thing I'm going to say to you before I leave. Are you ready? Go. Go and make disciples. Let's read it again. He said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I may, um, in the process here, I, I want, some of you are, are going to follow me and some aren't, and I'm already aware of that. Um, there's some things, some, some territory we're going to cover here that I feel is necessary. I feel it's necessary to go through some of these things, and I really, I think if you engage, I think that you will, uh, I think you're going to uh, be with us where we need to be toward the end of this service. I think if you'll track with me and if you'll absorb what we're saying here, um, it's going to be a lot of inf information, like I said, but if you'll track with me, I think we're going to get where we need to be. So, um, so that's an awesome verse. We understand the gravity of what Jesus is saying there, but can I tell you that it's incomplete? It's one verse. And every, every one verse on its own is awesome and powerful. But it is incomplete. The Word of God is a collective work. And every verse that you pull out has power. But there's more. There's more to it. In fact, um, the Bible says if there were uh, as many books written as what Jesus had done, you know, the earth wouldn't even contain the amount of books that could be written. Um, so the test of Scripture is always... Will you keep digging? Did you know that? If you're going to be studying the Bible, it's not just memorizing verses, which is important. You need to be able to, to quote Scripture even when you're not in front of Scripture. You need to have it in your spirit, in your mind. That's important. But the test of Scripture is, will you keep digging? The test of Scripture is, when you read this verse, does it, does it make you want to dig deeper? Does it make you want to go back further? Because I want to tell you something. A lot of scripture is taken out of context just because, and it's, and it's applied to things that it was never intended to apply to just because we don't know all the scripture. Just because that we're not studying, we're not willing to dig deeper into what is being said there. So the Great Commission actually spans three verses. We read that one, and I've always read that one. I've always read that the Great Commission, I've always heard that the Great Commission started with the word, therefore. And that's a conjunction. So we have to go back at least one verse, right? If there's a conjunction, that means there's something before that explains what's fixing to be said. And so uh, let's, let, we're going to go back to 28.18 and read through verse 20 in a minute. But the Great Commission spans a few verses, and what we just read is the what. Everybody say the what. 
The what of what of, of, of Jesus of the Great Commission is go, make. This is what I want you to do. This is the what. But the verse after that is how. Explains how that's going to happen. The verse before that is the why. It's very cool. It's very cool that he first says why, then he says what, and then he says how. He covers every question in three verses that you could ever have about what you're supposed to be doing. There's a history to the Great Commission. The Great Commission in verse 19 doesn't start with the word go. It's one of those awkward verses that we quote all the time that starts with a conjunction. It says, therefore, go. And if, you're, if, you're, if it's like in my Bible, my Bible capitalizes the word therefore because it starts a verse. But if, I'm, not say, I'm not saying anything about the way that Scripture is divided, but if you, if you, if you read that as one, as one sentence, it is one sentence. You don't start with a conjunction. It's a, it's, it spans from the next sentence. So if it makes you have to work backwards to find the context, when you see the word therefore or any kind of conjunction like that in the Bible, don't, don't start there. Back up and get some context because what he says before that is just as important as what he's fixing to say. So uh, the previous verse says this. All authority in heaven and earth. Everybody say heaven. Everybody say earth. earth. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. The boldest statement that Jesus ever made, he made some bold statements, was this statement right here. If you really grasp the gravity of what Jesus is saying, he is saying all authority, everybody say all. All. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, then it says, therefore, go. And we don't understand the context. We don't understand how these two, what that, or why, why that's even related. You know why? Because when you read that, you have to go back even further. Because you have to keep going back to find where's the context. So let's take it all of the way back, work all the way backwards, this way. Who had the authority of earth before Jesus. Because we know that he came to get the keys to death, hell, and the grave. We know that he came and established authority on the earth. Came from heaven and won that authority. So where did it come from? Because he didn't have it before that. He had to get it from somewhere. And did you know that previously in Jesus' ministry, he said this. He called Satan the ruler of this world. Now in this verse, in the Great Commission, he just said... All authority has been given to me in earth and in heaven. But at one point in his ministry, he called Satan the ruler of this world. Has Satan always been the ruler of this world? No, no. He wasn't always the ruler of this world because he got it from Adam. He got it from Adam. Was Adam always the ruler of this world? Adam hadn't always been around. God had it before Adam. See, God created the heavens and the earth. Adam was put in dominion of the earth. Adam passed that dominion on to Satan when he rebelled against God. Jesus won it back from the devil and gave it back to us. So, when we trace it all the way back, we begin to see where all this came from. So, um, so we know earth... We say, okay, 
So Jesus, I see you have, how, have you, how you have all authority in the earth. But He said heaven and earth. So Jesus had all authority of heaven because why? Because He is God. And that's something that we cannot disconnect. When we're talking about the Holy Spirit, when we're talking about Jesus, I know it's, it's easy to put a personhood to Jesus because we see His life his, and His ministry and His words in the Bible. It's, it's kind of difficult when uh, we're thinking about God or the Holy Spirit because they didn't have a face. You know what I'm saying? And so, but we have to remember this, that it's one person. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one person. So He was God, and so when He came here, He came here with all of the authority of heaven. And as man with heaven's authority, He won back authority in the earth. So we're going to be talking about, like I said, we're fixing to go deep, so hold on. Um, Why is this authority in the earth, or what is this authority in the earth, and why is it so important? Before the Great Commission... Some of you may know this, but there's something that scholars call the cultural mandate. Has anyone ever heard of that? Um, In Scripture, there's something that Bible scholars have just titled the cultural mandate. Just like we title it the Great Commission. Before that, there was something that we call the cultural mandate. It's found in Genesis 1.28. Just like the Great Commission found in Matthew 28 was Jesus' last words... The cultural mandate in Genesis 1.28 is God's first words to Adam. So I think that that's relevant. I think that that, uh, that means something to us. God's first words that He spoke to mankind. He created man. And then it says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Everybody say subdue. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky over every living thing that moves on the ground. Scholars call that the cultural mandate. In other words, it's God's order to first thing that he ordered man to do. And uh, so be fruitful, and we're going to break this down if that's okay, because King James kind of just throws it at us and leaves us to do the work. So um, be fruitful is literally to bear fruit. It's literally to be productive. It's literally to produce. It's not, we think of that as just have a bunch of babies. And that's what I thought it was. And now five babies later, I realize, oh, that's not what, just entirely what he meant. And so, but if that's what it meant, I did my part. So, but that's not all that it means. It means literally just to bear fruit, just to produce. It means a lot of us in our jobs, we are daily producing something and, uh, but it's just to produce. So um, the, the next word in the Hebrew where it says increase in number, it's not increase in number. It's, in number is actually added in the King James. The, the NIV pulled it back out. But um, it actually in the Hebrew is increase. Increase. It's actually to increase. It says increase in whatever respect. That's what the translation is from the Hebrew. Increase in whatever respect it uses the word much, the word more, abundance, all of these words in the definition. And increase in number is um, kind of, uh, uh, almost kind of like, it's not misleading because it means that too. But I'm just saying it means a lot more than that. So basically the cultural mandate, scholars have done this homework for me, uh, so don't think that I'm pulling this out of somewhere, um, is produce, everybody say produce, increase, everybody say increase, Everybody say feel. feel. And everybody say subdue. subdue. 
Those are the four parts of the cultural mandate. Produce, increase, feel, subdue. So, before Jesus gave us our marching orders, before Jesus gave us the Great Commission, He gave us context. Because he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And what he's saying is, I've taken back control of earth, and heaven's original plan is back in full effect. I want you to grasp that. I want you to really think about it. Whether you agree with it or not, I just want you to grasp what I'm saying. And, and just appreciate the gravity of this. What Jesus was saying, when he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore, Go. What he is literally saying is, I've taken back control of earth, and heaven's original plan is now back in full effect. So he could almost, you could imply that he's saying, so go again. You could almost say that he's saying, what God originally intended for mankind is now in effect, so now go again. Because ever since Adam's fall to when Jesus came, Satan was the ruler of this world. When Jesus came, he set everything back in place, and then he said, last thing, now, everything that was messed up is now under my rule. I've set it all back right again. Therefore, go. And he could almost be saying, go again. Um, that word, um, make disciples, uh, it's a... <laughs> I should have. I knew. I knew better than to write the word. I should have wrote out the pronunciation. It's uh, It's methatuyo. Okay. Does anybody know any better? Okay, it's methatuyo. Okay. So uh, it means intransitively to become a pupil, and I had to look up the word intransitively. <laughs> you know, the I had to look up the definition of the definition. That's where I'm at. But. Uh, it means inspiring people to want to know. It's not... It, that's why he says, make disciples teaching them. That's, he's not saying the same thing twice. See, a lot of times we go out and we say, well, people don't want to hear. People don't want to hear the gospel anymore. Kids don't want to know about Jesus. We say all of these excuses, but what he's saying right here is, that's on you. He's saying that you are supposed to inspire people to want to learn. And that's where we're dropping the ball a lot of times. It's not that we don't know the truth. We just don't know how to inspire people. We don't, we don't know how to live the truth in such a way that people ask questions. Yafet came to me... Um, uh, last week and he was talking about some things happening at work because this is happening in his life right now. Uh, Pastor Yafet was saying that uh, someone uh, approached him and just said, so what's your deal? <laughs> they just noticed that something was different and they said, so what's your deal? You know? And, that, and the door was wide open. He had inspired them to want to know. He was making disciples. He wasn't going out and just preaching in, from a street corner. He was making disciples. You don't have any disciples? Make them. <laughs> he was making disciples. That's what that word means. That's what the context is there. The last word, I mean the next word, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That, that word is baptismo. And it does mean to immerse. I'm sorry if there's people of other denominations, but it means to immerse. But it doesn't mean just to immerse. 
not in water. It doesn't mean just in water. It says this, the definition of baptismo is to immerse literally or figuratively. So if you read it like immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what is the name? It's the authority. Immersing them in the authority of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit kind of adds, it doesn't change anything. It just opens it up. Wow, it's, it's so much more. Um, so immersing them in the authority of the complete trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the complete trinity. Um, and it's teaching them to obey is didasco. It's a prolonged form of to teach. He didn't say, it, when it says teaching them to obey, the word there used in the Hebrew actually doesn't mean teach a class once a week. It actually is the same, almost the same word as, it comes from the same word as disciple. It means prolonged teaching. It means getting involved in people's lives. It means not letting go of people when their life gets hard and too hard for you. It means sticking with people to the end because Jesus knew that we were all in this thing for the long haul. So that's what that means. Sticking with people for the long haul. Prolonged teaching. So everybody say, Jesus redeemed me. Let me ask you something. How much did he redeem you? How much did he redeem you? How much did you, do you want him to redeem you? How much did he redeem? All of it? Part of it? How much, how much did he invest and how much will that buy? How much redemption will what he invested buy in your life? So he, did he redeem you halfway or all the way back to our original mandate from God? Be fruitful and multiply. Increase. Subdue the earth. That's why it's called the cultural mandate. Because we look around us and we say, culture is going to hell in a handbasket. We are all, I mean, we're just going to have to, you know, all, you know, buy a little uh, piece of land somewhere and all, you know. We, that's what's happened to people is they've, they've looked around them and they've seen uh, all of these things happening and they've holed up. And they say, we're just, when I get to the church, as, as soon as I can get to the church, you know, I'm going to be around other believers and everything's going to be easy and everything's going to be okay again. Uh, Chris Valentin says this way, he says, the only way that the earth can get darker and darker and the church get brighter and brighter is if we're under a basket. But Jesus said that you are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. But it's put up on top of a lampstand for everyone to see. And it gives light to everyone in the house. That's not just the church. Everywhere there's darkness, there can be light. And the darkness can't do anything about it. But you got to light the lamp. If you cover up the lamp, then the Holy Spirit is not responsible for the lack of results. But if we let the light shine, everybody say, the light will do what the light does. And that's expel darkness. Darkness cannot push back. Darkness cannot extinguish the light. Jesus said that. Darkness cannot even argue. Darkness has to be expelled because the light has been introduced. And a lot of us, we don't see. We look around us and we see culture in such shambles. But I want to suggest to you it's because it is without the light. 
that we can come in and we have the mandate, if we read this correctly, and if we say Jesus redeemed us back to the original mandate of God, then we, say, we can say that we have the responsibility and the authority to reform the culture around us, to bring light into every situation. One thing that Pastor Yafet was telling me about that situation, he said, I haven't asked him if I could share this, but he's not in the room, is he? So, um, what, uh, one thing that he shared with me about that is because this person had really a really f- foul language, had a really dirty mouth, and um, as soon as she said, so what's your deal? And he said, well, he said, I'm a believer, I'm a pastor over at Victory Church. Her whole language, everything changed. She did not, she, she watched her words. She wouldn't say anything off color. She wouldn't say anything that would be offensive. Everything, that whole atmosphere changed. And you say, well, I don't want people to feel legalistic or anything like that. That's not what it is. Don't take, don't take responsibility for the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit, when the light shines, the work of the Holy Spirit is conviction. It's not you. It's not you. Don't take responsibility for that. Let the Holy Spirit have His work. If people say, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that around you. It's like, you know, don't apologize. Don't apologize. Say, oh, no, just, you know, don't mind me or whatever. No, the light has been introduced. Let the light shine. Let the light do what it's going to do. So, um, the end of the Great Commission, verse 20, is our how. Everybody say our how. Um, He said, in the King James, it says... uh, and lo, and that's a King James word, but the word in the Hebrew just means see. So see, look, pay attention. I am with you always, even to the end of the age, or in, in the end of the earth. So that word always is perpetually. We say, in the King James it reads, even to the end of the earth or the end of the age, or the end of something, something. But the word actually means, I am perpetually with you. And it could mean, figuratively, it could mean the end of the, the world, or something like that. But the, the, first, uh, first, um, um, the first part of that definition is perpetually with you. I am perpetually, everybody say, say that word, perpetually. <laughs> That's a fun word to say. Perpetually just means unending. Don't worry about it drying up. Don't worry about it ending. I am always with you. Always, always, always. Well, for how long? Do you, always, always. It doesn't end. Um, so uh, it's not like, uh, it's not chronos. See, it, there's two words. There's, there's, that word is uh, eon, E-I-O-N, and it is where we get our word eon. For eons. So, how, so God, how, how long are you going to be with me? Jesus, how long are you going to be with me? Eons. Eons, you know, we know that word. It's just, uh, it's forever, it's perpetual. But it's, it's the, it's, there's two words, and the other one is chronos. That's not the word he's using. Because uh, chronos is um, what was going on in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon someone for a specific task and for a certain amount of time. And that's what Jesus is contrasting right there. He's saying, it's not like the Old Testament like you've experienced before. It's not like when the old, in the Old Testament when, when uh, uh, the Holy Spirit would come down on someone for a specific task, but then He would go back and everything would go back to normal. That's not what I'm talking about. He's saying, I'm going to be with you eon. I'm going to be with you forever, perpetually, unending. I'm never leaving. I'm here to stay. That's what He's actually, uh, that's the contrast He's making right there. 
So God's presence can be felt, and this is where I may rock the boat a little. Everybody just, you know, hold on. Put on your life jackets maybe. That's a good idea. Everybody put on your life jackets. So um, God's presence can be felt in a corporate environment, chronos, when we get ourselves in an atmosphere where there's, uh, let's call it peer pressure, when there's other believers making it easy for us to open up to the Holy Spirit. And see, that's what we're used to. Almost like we're in the Old Testament. We're used to times of refreshing. We're used to seasons where the Holy Spirit moves. We're used to revivals coming and revivals going. We're used to the Holy Spirit moving in and doing a work and then leaving right back out. That's what we're used to, but I wonder if that's New Testament Holy Spirit experience. I wonder if that's what Jesus wants us to have. Um, because what I see is that Jesus said that I will be with you always, that I'm never leaving. And we know, listen, is Jesus here? No, I mean, I, I, that's a trick question, by the way. We know that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. But we know that God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, that they are one person. So when he said, I will never... He didn't say, I, Jesus. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you to the end of the world. Who is, who is, who is the Godhead on the earth right now? It's the Holy Spirit. Biblically, Jesus is, we know that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us and that the Holy Spirit is here and He will never leave us. That the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is God sent to be with us eon. Eon. All, all the time. Always. So, uh, the revival that we've seen in the past, Brownsville, Toronto, we can go through all the Great Awakening. We can go back to Martin Luther. We can go back, 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 back. Every revival has started and has ended, and that's the revival we've seen in the past. That's the revival they saw in the Old Testament. And so we could say at the end of one of those, well, the Holy Spirit's done moving. Is He? Is He ever finished? See, I, I, I struggle with this. I have problems uh, with the concept that the Holy Spirit does a work and leaves because He's done. I just, I just, I don't see how the Holy Spirit is ever done. I don't see how He ever, um, you know, uh, is satisfied with where He's brought us to and He's just going to step out. Because listen, a lot of good came out of Brownsville. See, the Holy Spirit, uh, God doesn't show up and nothing good happen. People's lives are changed forever. People are saved and, and all of these things. But it's easy for us to write it off and say, look at all the good that happened or whatever. It's residue. I mean, honestly, compared to the actual revival that took place, it's just residue of something that the Holy Spirit did. But He said He'd never leave. He said He would never leave. So I want to move out if we can. I want us to, in our thinking, I want us to shift out of corporate revival mentality. And I want us to start thinking about revival in me. I want us to, because that's where the Holy Spirit is. We talk a lot about the Holy Spirit moving. And I've got chill bumps and He's in the room. No, He's not. He's in you. I think, we're, I think we've got it reversed. I think we're sensing something on the outside. What you're sensing is the Holy Spirit in you. Bearing witness with the Holy Spirit and other people. And we come together corporately and something happens, but it's not floating around the room. The Holy Spirit is in you. I think we're ignoring the obvious, and that's that the Holy Spirit exists in us in the same intensity and concentration 
on our job, in Walmart, at our house, wherever we are, as it did during the greatest great awakening that's ever happened. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the greatest revival that's ever happened on the face. Dead people came out of their graves and was walking around. I mean, the ground shook. It was the greatest revival that has ever been recorded. That same Spirit lives inside you. Everybody say, in me. That same Spirit is in you. And whatever the Holy Spirit can do, He can do right now. Whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do, He can do in you no matter where you are. If you have traveled across the nation to go to a great revival or if you are in Walmart, the same Holy Spirit is in you and He can do whatever He can do right then. It has nothing to do with environment on the Holy Spirit's account. It has to do with environment on our account. We have to get ourselves in a place where we're open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And that's what happens in revivals. People show up for revival. So they've already got their mindset, but that's also why it leaves. The reason that it leaves is because people get tired. In Brownsville, they said the number one, Brownsville Revival, they said the number one problem that they had logistically was keeping toilet paper in the bathrooms and the commodes unstopped. I mean, that was, I mean, that's just real. And they got tired. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying it's, it, it, it waned. And people got exhausted and people weren't, you know, I just wonder, and I know I'm jumping to, to the point, but I just wonder if we learned, let the Holy Spirit teach us how to live with an open heart. Everywhere we went, that we just lived open. Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? I want to hear your voice right here, right here in the middle of Walmart. What do you want to do? Who do you want to touch? I want heaven to come to earth right here in the middle of Walmart. Let's do it. If we can learn how to live like that, I just wonder. So, okay. So, on a, uh, so let, me, let me ask you some really hard questions. And then we'll bring this... Uh, we'll crash land this plane. So, um, is God carnal? I mean, just me saying that I mean, out loud makes me twinge on the inside. No, no. Of course, God is the opposite of carnal. Am I right? Is God carnal? No. So, is He allowing the effects of the fallen world to remain as part of His, of his will? I'm going to ask you the first question, then I'll ask you the second question, and I want you to see how it relates. Uh, is God carnal? We all say no. So, is God allowing the effects of the fallen world to remain in your life? and in this world as part of His will. Let me, let me ask you another question. Is God dishonest? How much redemption did He purchase for you and then withhold from you? How much redemption did He buy and then tuck away and pretend He didn't? Why did He purchase it if it wasn't to give to you? If, why did He... Why did he purchase redemption just to give you a taste of it and then withhold the rest? What The redemption was for you. He bought it for you and me. He bought it for us. So many times we, 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 uh, we, we place blame on things. You know, in Vietnam, in the Vietnam War, I'm going to wrap this up, but in the Vietnam War, um, they, uh, a lot of Americans got very angry. And they, got, they, they accused our country 
of a lot of bad things. Because, you know, the greatest reason is because we didn't know what we were fighting for. Nobody understood what was going on. And all they saw is people were getting killed. Horribly killed. There were so many soldiers, young men coming home that were being injured and killed. And we're saying, why? Why are we doing this? Can I tell you something? There can never be a question in God's mission and what God has called us to do. And why? We know why. We look around us and we see people dying and we are fighting to bring life oxygen to suffocating people. We're bringing light to the darkness. We know why we're doing this thing. There can never be a turning and accusing God and saying, God, you, you, uh, you're allowing this to happen. All these people, we fight. Soldiers don't act like that. Soldiers don't think like that. Soldiers are so into what they're fighting for and so convicted and convinced about what they're fighting for that they fight injured. They will keep pushing and keep going until the last man is saved. See guys, we've gotten soft. (laughs) We have. But God is calling us to a deeper walk. And what that means is a deeper walk into His destiny for our life. And it's not going to be... Can I, it, it, we may find it easier than we expect, but we will not find it comfortable. God is calling us to some uncomfortable places. He's calling us to step out and to bring light into dark areas. And that is the next move of this church. The next move of this church is not to move from this building into another building. The move of this church is to move. We've got to have a building, but we're moving from this building out into the city. And we've got to learn how to let our light shine. We've got to learn that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and the darkness that's in someone else's life can change like that. If we just introduce the light into that dark situation, things can change like that. And it has nothing to do with you. All you've done is introduce the light. You are not the light. But He's given you the light and He wants it to be as bright as you'll let it be. If you can, if you can let the light shine has God not shown us His character? Has He not shown us His intentions? Has He not shown us His power over sin in Jesus? See, when Jesus came, it was, sure, He did all of those things behind the scenes. Death, hell, the grave. He, he, he went. He led captivity captive. We know about all of those things. Uh, we don't fully understand them because it's in another dimension. It's another thing. But, um, but we read about all those things. But the number one thing that Jesus did is He showed you His heart for you and for the world. He has already shown us. He is not carnal. He is not dishonest. He is not powerless. So we are of excuses. Everybody say, I have no excuse. To live fully in the power of the Holy Spirit is to live in a constant state of revival, kingdom advancement, and cultural reformation. There is not going to be any any revival in Victory El Dorado until there is revival in you and me. Until we have revival in our personal life, there will never be corporate revival. We say, well, people prayed it in. No, they prayed until there was a group of people like at Pentecost where they came into one accord when the Holy Spirit could come in a corporate thing. But we have got to come to a place individually where we bring revival with us. Not just for this church. See, revivals have happened this way. A lot of times, revivals have been like gone on inside 
of a inside of a church. And it's always been in a church, and people have come from all over the nation, mostly other churches, to have a taste of this revival. Is that wrong? No, I've I've hit a lot of them. <laughs> if it's going on, I'm there. That's that's great. But as a result of that, they be I've seen a lot of those revivals. They're like, well, we got to do something different. We got to do start doing outreaches, right? We got to get this thing out of here. But I want to suggest to you that it was that maybe what God is going to do here isn't designed to start necessarily in here, but maybe it's designed to start in you, wherever you are. And then when we come together, it's just like, man, God is so good. Do you, you, know what, you know what happened to me this week? Do you know what God did this week? Do you know I, I, I met this person and, and, and they, were, they, were, they, were, uh, they were just eat up with cancer. And the whole, I heard the Holy Spirit say, lay hands on them. It was the most awkward thing I've ever done is right there in the middle of Walmart. I, I put my hand, I said, God just wants me to pray for you. Is that okay? Yeah. I laid my hands on her and she just started, she just collapsed on the floor and, and she got up and she was just screaming. She's like, I'm healing. And, and we, I mean, it's like, yeah, let me tell you what happened to me this week. See, when we all get revival going in our own life outside of these walls, when we come together, revival doesn't stop. Revival doesn't stop until it stops in you. But it doesn't start until it starts in you. Everybody say, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Until the Holy Spirit is given free reign to do what He's intended to do, you let Him illuminate you, all of your giftings, all of your destiny, everything that He intended when He made you. Whether you're a Lamborghini, a Ventador, or a, uh, a John Deere excavator. You know, whatever it is He's designed you to be, He wants to illuminate that in your life. And we've got to stop dogging ourselves. We've got to stop. Did you know humility, we were talking about this in the ministry training, Wade brought it up. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking, it's just thinking of yourself less. A lot of times we say, well, I'm just, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to sing the song. But let me tell you something, because she said that's her favorite song, so I'm not going to sing, I'm going to step on that. But we've got to stop thinking so lowly of ourselves. Listen, you don't have to be arrogant to know who God has made you to be. You don't have to be prideful to walk fully in your destiny, illuminated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know a stained glass window? When the lights are out in the church, or when it's dark outside and you're in the church, it looks like a regular window. But when the sun comes up on the east side of the church, and that east, large east window just comes alive. And beams and every image in there, the contrast and the color just, just explodes from that window. A lot of us, we've been, we are those stained glass windows. We just hadn't let the light shine through yet. And if we will let the light shine through us, everything we made to be will naturally be. Everybody stand up to your feet, please. And uh, If you're ready to submit to be saved, and you're in here and you want to be saved, and you're ready to submit to that, let me, let me tell you this first. You are submitting to the Holy Spirit around you. The Holy Spirit is going around convicting hearts. The Holy Spirit is looking for someone that's ready so that they can reach out and connect them with heaven. 
The Holy Spirit is constantly looking for someone. The Bible says no one comes to the Father unless they're drawn by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is drawing, drawing, drawing. But for the rest of us, can I tell you this? If you are ready to submit to the Great Commission in its fullest sense, you're submitting to the Holy Spirit in you. And I know we raise our hands and that's a great symbol of what's happening in our heart. But that can't be our literal expression. That can't be God wherever you are. Wherever you are, I need you. I need you right now. That's not it. That's not it. This is surrender to the Holy Spirit in me. That's the reason a lot of times uh, now I just... I, after... After I began to see some of these things, my posture of worship is just hugging. <laughs> it's just, it's just. I just sense that the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is right here. And guys, I want to tell you that changes everything. That changes everything. When I know that the Holy Spirit isn't busy out there, Holy Spirit, whenever you get some time, I, I, I need some. No, the Holy Spirit is here, and He is always knocking. Knocking, and we say the whole, that Jesus is at the door, like the little picture in the nursery. You know that Jesus is at the door, knocking on the door of our heart. You know, and that's when we get saved. Can I suggest to you the Holy Spirit is inside you, knocking, yes. knocking to get out? Amen. I'm ready. It's the heart of God. Whether it's Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit wanting to get in, or the Holy Spirit wanting to get, the heart of God is knocking. And you say, "When God, when Jesus said perpetually, I am with you always." I am always with you. So he's not out here. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. I quoted this before. Charles Spurgeon said, Open the door and let the lion out of his cage. It's like we try to defend God. Defend God. Open the door of the cage and let the lion out to do what the lion does. He will defend himself. Let the light out. Let the light shine. And the light will dispel the darkness. And it ain't got nothing to do with you. It ain't got nothing to do with how you do it. It's just opening the light to let the light out. Everybody close your eyes right now. And we're just going to... Let's just wait for a second. Jesus, Jesus. In your mind right now, I want you to see that lock on the cage of your heart. I think we have all have had that. You know how I know we have a lock on it? It's because we haven't seen what Jesus said we would see. He said greater works than you will do. I'm going to my Father to intercede for you and I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. Nothing will be impossible for you. I've seen glimpses of that. So mentally, I want you to picture that lock that keeps the lion caged up in your life. And I want, to see, I want you to see yourself unlocking the lock. And don't put it in your pocket. Throw it as far away as you can. Get rid of of the lock because you're not going to need that anymore. Everybody say, I won't need that anymore. By the Spirit, this morning I release you to be fruitful, to increase, and to have dominion. I release you to go. I release you by the Spirit, by the authority of the Holy Spirit this morning. 
to fulfill the mandate that God originally created you to fulfill and to fulfill the commission that Jesus died, buried, and was rose again to give you. In Jesus' name. I just feel like we just—I uh, just feel like we just need to stand here in God's presence just for a few minutes. It's twelve oh one. Let's give God three minutes just to stand in His presence, just to allow Him to show us some things. prayer team will come forward please Um, perhaps the Holy Spirit has been tugging on your heart Um, perhaps the Holy Spirit has been uh, telling you this he's been telling you it's time maybe the Holy Spirit has been making it very obvious to you that is you cannot wait any longer I want to encourage you, if that's you, to come down to these altars and let someone pray with you. If you're in here this morning, you say, I want to be saved. I want the Holy Spirit to live in me. Not just the power, but just the fulfillment of everything that He's created me to be and to do. If that's you and you want that for the first time this morning, I want to encourage you to come down and let somebody pray with you right now. We're not going to tarry on that, so if you want to come, come right now. For the rest of us, I just want to encourage you, this is not the culmination of what the, what, uh, the Holy Spirit wants to do. This is, this is the beginning. I want to encourage you to pursue openness to the Holy Spirit this week. Not just openness in your own life to feel His presence through the day, but I want to encourage you to be open to the Holy Spirit working out of you. Flowing, because the Holy Spirit is in you to flow out of you. The light is in you not to be hidden, but to be revealed. To be set on a lampstand. To give light to everyone in the house. you want to stay and just bask in God's presence for a little while, uh, Pastor Yafet's going to come and, and dismiss us. Jesus. We want to thank God for what He's doing. Um, everyone, um, This uh, right after this, we do have Next Step membership class, Step 1. If you hadn't been to that, remember to come for that. Um, Spanish service tonight at 5. Um, listen, try not to disturb the mood. If you want to stay in here and bask in His presence, do. But if you're going to leave, please leave and try not to disturb those that are, that are seeking His presence. So thank you. You're dismissed. Remember uh, class in this afternoon, Spanish service.